Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, we're on a short week, a condensed week, so we're going to uh, condense a couple of shows into one here. We're going to move on today to talk about the Seattle Seahawks, but I also want to get to a story that uh, you posted on our website with regards to the Packers' sack total defensively for this year. Some really interesting numbers there. But starting with the Seattle Seahawks, They are 4-5 and after a loss to the Los Angeles Rams this last week. We know the Packers are 4-4-1. These two teams both very, very badly need this victory. And when uh, you start with the Seattle Seahawks, for all the changes in personnel and everything that have gone on there over the last couple years, it still starts with Russell Wilson. It is, and and it's interesting to me, Mike, because with the way things have gone for the Seahawks, you've seen... You know, some things with that defense sort of erode here. Uh, some guys got older. Some guys got a little bit more discontent. Whatever it is, uh, you know, it's, it isn't the same unit that it once was. Right. But it's still a pretty darn good unit the way they play, and they still have two of the best linebackers in this league. Offensively, though, it was Russell Wilson. It is Russell Wilson, and it will continue to be Russell Wilson's team and, and Russell Wilson's unit. Uh, they've done a fairly decent job, I think, of trying to renovate his offensive line. There were a lot of issues there for a number of seasons. It's still not the best O-line in the league, but I think they're giving him a, a pocket that he can work with. As far as the, the passing game, Tyler Lockett, they made a big investment into him in the offseason, yeah. and it seems to be paying off for them to this point. He's become their top playmaker, and with a kind of a carousel of running backs to this point in the season – it's really been Wilson and Lockett's show to this point. Yeah. The thing I think that scares me the most, so to speak, about Russell Wilson is that he's just one of these guys that uh, you let him get outside the pocket and start to scramble around. He, you can have everything defended perfectly well, and he can still run for 10 or 12 or 15 yards on you and just, and just break like your week. back. Yeah, I was going to say, 92 yards rushing last week. Now, Rashad Penny was the new running back who stepped in because Chris Carson was injured. He suddenly goes for a buck eight on just 12 carries against the Rams, and then you add Russell Wilson's 92 yards. That's suddenly 200 yards rushing from a backup running back and your starting quarterback, and they just about knocked off the Rams out in L.A. Yeah, and I mean, if you know anything about Penny's story, they drafted him, and I think a lot of people, their expectation was that he'd be their starting running back. Uh, They've gone through a whirlwind here the past few years in the aftermath of Marshawn Lynch. It's been changing a lot. And then Penny had this really strange narrative throughout training camp in the offseason about where where his weight was at, was he in the shape he needed to be, and it ends up being Chris Carson who takes the job with Mike Davis, uh, the the former uh, San Francisco 49er, being the, the backup. Well, Penny gets his opportunity. I think when you look at an athletic standpoint, it's not a surprise. It's just been more about what it's taken to get him to this point. Now, we have to see how this week is going to work out. If Carson's going to be back in the plans, if he's not, does it end up being Mike Davis again? Is it Penny? Do they rotate all of them? A lot of guys to keep in mind. But the fact that they were able to put up a 100-yard game after struggling as much as they have with the run game and having that kind of work off of Russell Wilson, when you go back and think about those Super Bowl teams and, and the teams that really gave the NFC problems for a number of years, it was built off that one-two punch of Wilson and Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find that. I don't wouldn't say that they're there yet, but this was at least a promising sign for them after last year being such a grind, going through Eddie Lacy 
and Rawls and, Rawls and just all the different guys that they were rotating at that, yeah. trying to find something that would work for them. Well, when you talk about what could be dangerous with a guy like Penny stepping in like he is, here we are in the middle of November. This is a guy with some fresh legs. Yeah. He can be, you know, he can be tough to handle. We've seen, obviously, the Packers have not overused Aaron Jones. And as we've talked about all season long, we're going to continue to see Aaron Jones' workload get ramped up because uh, the Packers were a little leery of his injury history from his rookie season. Now we're getting into the stretch run here, and, and Jones obviously showed what he can do. But when you have a brand-new guy like this, like Penny, who jumps in in the middle in the middle of the season and isn't as beat down as a normal starting running back, this can be a, a tough situation for a defense. He could be tough to handle. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I was just trying to bring up right now some of these stats of how this is playing out for them this season. The thing that really impresses me, though, about Penny coming out of San Diego State, uh, it seemed like he would be the type of back that would sort of fit that their style. I mean, he's listed at 220, more of a power type back okay. that has some explosive tendencies to him. Uh, and I, I think it was... After a number of years of trying to use late-round picks and trying to find different pieces that would fit, they tried to go out and not necessarily get Marshawn Lynch, but find a guy that that fit with that running style that they had so much success with with, with so many years. Uh, and, and now, you know, you look at Doug Baldwin, what they have in Lockett, there's still weapons that you have to be concerned with downfield. But with the moves they made, you know, moving forward without Jimmy Graham, basically more towards a blocking type system with what they're looking for from their tight ends and the inside of that offense. Because Luke Wilson, the other tight He's end, mo- he moved on as well. Yeah. It just seems to me that they're trying to get back to their base a little bit more. I, I you know, Again, I'm not following the, the Seattle Seahawks every day, but as far as the perception, it just comes off like that because you know what Russell Wilson can do. You just talked about it, Mike. He's versatile outside the pocket. He can extend plays. Strangely, he is susceptible to sacks. Still, he, he can avoid yeah. them, but he still does. He still does get sacked. Well, he does. He does hold the ball and try to yes. and try to make plays. But when he does get the ball off, he's incredibly accurate. He doesn't. He doesn't have that whistle of a throw necessarily. But his touch and 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 his accuracy, his his ability to put balls in in tricky spots, maybe dropping it right. in from up above, like those kind. He makes different types of throws than a lot of other quarterbacks, and he's very very accurate in doing so. And what I'm very interested to see is just how he plays and performs in this game. The Packers, yes, there's a storied history there. You can go back to the Fail Mary. You can go back to the NFC Championship game in 2014. But the Packers have won three straight against Russell Wilson and five starts against them. He has a 75 passer rating, seven touchdowns, ten interceptions. For a guy, and I know one of those games he had like five of them or whatever it was, but for a guy that protects the ball as well as he does, the Packers did have success against them, and I'm going to be very interested to see that next chapter play out in this game if they can force the ball away from them. Yeah, all right. Well, you had uh, touched on the Seahawks' defense a moment ago, and I want to get back to that in a second. But Packers fans, be sure to stop in at your local Quick Trip and pick up your Packers cup today. Get 89-cent refills on your Cafe Karuba coffee all season long. Seahawks defense, West. the Legion of Boom is no longer. Richard Sherman is gone. Cam Chancellor is gone. Uh, Earl Thomas, um, no longer there as well. The crux of this defense, from what I can tell, because it is still a very good unit, you're not just going to roll over these guys, 
But those two linebackers, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, those guys are those guys really are kind of the heart and soul, not only geographically because they line up in the middle of the defense, but they really are the two guys that kind of make this defense work. And it's funny, Mike, because now that I'm on this side of things, I'm not really trying to work the phones as much anymore to get like <laughs> scout intel. Uh, but I remember my last year at the Press Gazette, I talked to, to one uh, scout for an NFL or an NFC team. And they said to me, Bobby Wager, the impressive thing about him is he's the best linebacker in the league, and he's been the best linebacker in the league. And it's very difficult at that position. There's a, there's a very select few that can stay at the top of that position. Yep. You see guys, and this is not to throw anybody under the butt, you see the Navarro Bowmans of the world. You see guys that really are, they shine for a season or two but just can't keep up that level of play. What's impressive about Wagner is he's been doing this now for seven, eight years. And you're right. He is the face of that defense. He is the identity of that defense. And he's done it as as long, if not longer, than even Patrick Willis in right. San Francisco. He's at he's at that level in terms of uh, in terms of the longevity being at the top of the league. And what impresses me too is we're in a day and age, Mike, where everybody just wants to change and you know transition safeties, uh, hybrid players into linebackers, and. They're in to some extent, I guess they did do this because they did get Shaq Griffin in the draft, and he's right. more of a, a tweener player. But Wright and Wagner are just punch you in the mouth linebackers, gritty, three down, can play coverage when they need to. Linebackers, yeah, they're, they're throwback types, no doubt and about it. And there's just a shortage of them right now in yep. 2018 with the way that this league is structured. Yeah. Up front, uh, obviously Michael Bennett no longer there on the defensive line. The guy who's always intrigued me for them because he seems to be a guy who's capable of always having that big standout game, if you're not careful, is Frank Clark. Frank Clark is an interesting one because he is a little bit more of a, he could be a, you could I could see him as a 3-4 outside linebacker. You could see him as a hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher. Uh, but yeah, eight sacks to this point in the season. He's sort of been the, the new breed, if you will, with that Legion of Boom and with, with that defense. I mean, 10 sacks two years ago, 27 over the last three seasons has become a starter in that scheme. And I think it was the right time. I mean, they had Cliff Averill, and you look at Michael Bennett and some of the things they did with their edge rush, signing players elsewhere, bringing them in and, and you know, being able to get strong performance out of them at, at a modest rate. Yeah, they had Bruce Irvin for Bruce a while Irvin coming, off, coming off the edge, too. And yeah. by the way, and I always say this, I think I bring this up every time, John Schneider got killed for that draft pick back in 2012, and I always liked Bruce Irvin. I thought he fit exactly what they were trying to do, and he's just a consistent guy that's going to get you seven, eight sacks unless you're in Oakland and you just want to ship them out. but Yeah, it was considered a reach at the time because there were a lot of off-the-field concerns with right. Irvin that everybody was like, boy, you're taking a big chance, taking him as high as they did. Well, you know, Schneider turned out to be to be right. He did exactly instance. what he needed to do there, and for yeah. the most part, you know, was able to keep his nose clean. But now you got Frank Clark. Now you got a new uh, breed, like I was saying, of, of defensive pass rusher there. It's a different face in the trenches, but... Uh, he's been a guy that's certainly picked up that baton and, and really uh, really ran with it. Yeah, well, with uh, with regards to this Seahawks defense, uh, one thing I forgot to check before we turn on the cameras here, Wes, their, their turnover situation, because I know it's a defense that over the years when they were at their best, they would take the ball away. Obviously, the Legion of Boom, they would get yeah. interceptions, but they'd also hit quarterbacks, get the ball out, that kind of thing. Where is this defense in terms of turnovers? Well, this is the tough part for them right now because Earl Thomas is still their leading uh 
intercepting <laughs> defensive back. He has three picks. They have 10 as a team right now. Uh, Sequil Griffin is, I think, a really solid player. Two picks for him on the year. I think he's the guy that sort of jumps off the page to me. I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew much about their safety situation now. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not too but, familiar with it. But it either. is. They've made a transition in the, set, in the back end as well. Uh, and it is going to be interesting to see how they do. But I, to this point, yeah, 10 picks on the year and three of those belong to Earl Thomas. And how are they using the two Griffin brothers? You mentioned, obviously, they, they drafted uh, um, the, I guess you call him the one-armed Griffin. but uh, Shaq um, Griffin, yeah. Yeah, Shaq Griffin. And then, and then his, uh, his older brother um, is, uh, is on that defense as well. How are they using those? Well, Shaquille guys? is the starting boundary cornerback for them. I mean, okay. he, he is a guy in his two years that he's been there, uh, has been, you know, the, the, the dude that they're, they're developing. Uh, Shaq Griffin has been a little bit different this year because there were some rumblings coming out of training camp that, okay, maybe this guy's going to start. And he's mostly been on special teams to this point. I think he's played in eight games. I can look up. I can actually bring the stats up in front of me. It was like eight or nine games. Has like eight tackles on the year. Okay. Eight tackles. Uh, started one contest for them, but for the most part has been on special teams. Um, so, yeah, they're both definitely in the fold. It's going to be interesting, too. I don't know how much it's going to come up as a storyline, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling has a history with the two brothers, ran on a relay with them in high school. That's right. Uh, so you'd have that storyline as well. And it would be kind of cool, too, if you see Sequil actually line up against MVS as well. Shaquill, Shaquem, how does one guy get the nickname Shaq and not the other one? Well, for me, it was because until basically the NFL scouting combine, I didn't know how to pronounce Shaquem. Yeah. I didn't know if it was Shaquam. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was Shaq, and then everyone sort of called him that. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Maybe he just won the coin flip. I'm not sure yeah, exactly was, how they I've, went about I've just, doing that. I've wondered about that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, a great story with those, uh, with those two brothers both playing together in Seattle. But, uh, Wes, it is time to enter the Cousin Subs Best Seats in the House promotion. You and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50-yard line in style. Two pairs of lucky Packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this VIP experience. Enter daily now through December 16 by completing the entry form and submitting. For complete rules and eligibility, go to Packers.com slash best seats. Cousin subs, we believe in better. Okay, I promised we were going to talk about the Packers defense and the sack numbers right now. Six sacks. Last Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, give the Packers 31 on the season. That is tied for the league lead. But maybe the most interesting thing about the Packers being tied with a couple other teams for the league lead in sacks right now is the Packers don't have any one individual with more than five. This is really interesting how this is playing out with Mike Pettin's defense in terms of the sacks being spread out amongst so many players, and you looked up some of those numbers. Yeah, now I don't have a SPOF stats and info department like you do, uh, so I was you know, <laughs> doing all these things, crunching them myself. Uh, the, the three thing, there were three things that stood out that were very interesting to me. One, the fact that they do have 15 individual players who have had a sack this season. Going back to 1982 when that became an official statistic, the Packers have never had a defense have more than 15 players have at least a half sack in a non-strike year. They actually did it in 87, but it was 16 different guys. and Yeah, you, know, you had you replacement know. player. That yes. was the replacement players for a few games and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. there's that aspect of it. The fact that they also are tied with, I believe it's Kansas City, Minnesota, and I want to say, is it Pitts, Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, yeah. Off the top of my head, all three of those teams have a have at least one pass rusher that has, I think, seven or eight sacks on the year. The Packers' top right now is Kenny Clark and Kyler Facker with five. Lastly, and I think the most interesting is, to a certain extent, you could expect this. If you go back to how Mike Pettin ran his defense during his time with the Jets, he did an across-the-board approach. 
you know, uh, Muhammad Wilkerson didn't become a 10-sack player until after Pettin had left. But also what's very interesting, they never had more than 40 sacks in a season with the Jets. Ten top or Four top 10 defenses yeah. in four years. But the sacks always range from 31 to 40. The Packers are on pace for 55. Now, if you go to Pettin's season in Buffalo, they actually had 57 that year. So it's not like wow. he'd be setting a personal best or anything. You know, that was where Jerry Hughes really broke out and, yeah. and things of that nature. But the fact that the Packers are getting this kind of production, th- trust me, and the defensive players talked about this, Mike Pettin's talked about it, they want to be more consistent in their pressure, but they've been able to get home. And I think when you looked at their only six sacks right now off of last year, uh, you know, with seven games left to play, I think to some extent you are seeing that Mike Pettin effect in this defense. Yeah, and I think we're certainly seeing the not only the, the depth in terms of the defense, but the creativity because if you had said at the beginning of the season, okay, after nine games, the Packers are going to be tied for the league lead in sacks, and Clay Matthews and Nick Perry will have combined for four out of 30-plus sacks, I would have said, you know, you're crazy. Yeah. But this is a different type of system. It's a different type of scheme. And not only is Pettin bringing guys from different angles, you know, you mug up six or seven guys, and then maybe only four of them come, or maybe five of them come. That's sort of what his system has done. But also, because the Packers have had to tap into their depth, we've seen Antonio Morrison have to step in for Blake Martinez, and then he gets the call as the guy who comes, and he gets a sack in New England, for example. We saw last week Raven Green has to step in when Kentrell Bryce leaves with an injury, and then on a big third down, he gets the call to go after the quarterback, and he gets a sack of Osweiler. So that's partly how this is getting so spread out is because the Packers have had to call on so many Mm -hmm. different guys because of injuries and shuffling personnel personnel but yet when every guy is getting that call and getting that opportunity he's doing his best to cash in on it what really stands out to me the most about pet and scheme is you're right there's guys stepping up and that's why it's so diversified on where the sacks are coming from but positionally it's also a part of that I mean yes the linebackers are leading them once again but a part of that is the fact that if you go back to his time with the Jets too I mean you know, you had David Harris and Bart Scott. He would blitz those guys. You know, he would send them. And he's showed a lot of those double A-gap pressure looks in this mm-hmm. defense as well. It's what's led to Blake Martinez having four sacks. As you mentioned, Antonio Morrison stepping in there as well, getting one. But you have guys like, uh, you know, the, these defensive backs from the inside that are also being able to get after the quarterback. They're getting pressure with their defensive linemen. Uh, Dean Lowry getting on the board last week. Montrevious Adams got one last Montrevious week. Montrevious Adams well. got his first career sack yeah. last week. So that I think is a really interesting, you know, aspect of this defense. Also, what really stands out to me the most, if anything, is the fact that you had Kenny Clark dropping into coverage at one point in that game last week. You had a, an eight-man rush with three defensive backs all in cover zero, having to stick with their guy, <laughs> hoping that the, the rush is going to get to Osweiler before Osweiler can get the ball out. It's those type of things, being able to show those varied amount of looks at the line of scrimmage in putting it on film that you're not afraid to do just send everybody. I mean, you got to have some some grapefruits to pull that kind of stuff yeah. off. And, and yeah. Mike Pettin, I think, has showed a lot of confidence in a lot of young defensive players who three, four weeks ago might not even have been playing in this defense. Yeah. Well, that being said, with regards to where the Packers are with their sacks, Quite honestly, Wes, I would be fine if they don't sack Russell Wilson once on Thursday night because, to me, I just don't want Russell Wilson to be able to run for 80, 90, 100 yards and and hurt them that yeah. way. I, I would rather, and this is no disrespect to Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin, I would rather have 
Russell Wilson in the pocket having to beat you with the throws than to have to be worried about him running around because if you, you, you can beat your guy, and yes, Russell Wilson does take his share of sacks, but he can also just get away and kill you. Yeah, and, and the Packers felt some of that. They've seen that in the past with him. I think of that 2014 opener against Seattle and when they tried to run that quad defense against Wilson and they were able to get a lot of stuff working, not just with the read option, but being able to pass off the read option. The difference, I think, now for this Packers defense is they're much faster, particularly in the secondary. Uh, they have a lot of guys. It isn't just you know Josh Jones running a 4-4. They have just guys that can close the distance. And you need that type of approach with a guy like Russell Wilson. You have to be disciplined, but you have to be athletic too because he's disciplined and athletic. I think it's going to be a great chess match. And throwing in that, that atmosphere with CenturyLink, it's going to be challenging. It's going to challenge your communication on both sides of the ball in all three phases. But at the same time... I still don't think with the stat that you pointed out to me this week, it's as insurmountable to go in there and win maybe like it was four or five years ago. Yeah, I don't think it is, I don't think it is either. I think this is I think this is a Seahawks team that is a little, little bit vulnerable right now, but they're also dangerous in the sense that they have their backs up against yep. the wall. So our next show, I want to get to our keys to victory and all that, so we will continue that discussion. But for now, we have to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.